1: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Uh, If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain. It's to educate. It's to teach. It's to put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim, Kramer, sure the average has got thing today. We know that. Dow slipping 166 points. S&P declining 0.66%. NASDAQ backsliding 0.80%. But you know what? There's been a persistent bid, as we call it, underneath this market for months. Despite the virus. Despite the high unemployment. Despite the uneven earnings. It's a puzzle. It's an enigma. I'm constantly trying to figure out why people keep buying. I can never find the answer. And then I had an epiphany, a real eureka moment last night. I was going over the positions in my charitable trust in preparation for my monthly ActionAlertsPlus.com members only club talk. This time, looking at them through the lens of the election. Why not? It's only 20 days away. And you know what? Of the 32 stocks we own for the charitable trust, fully two thirds of them would do better under a Biden presidency. Trump stock That caught me by surprise. Of course, we weren't trying to bet on the election when we put this portfolio together over multiple years. Honestly, I've been operating under the assumption that the market might take a hit if Biden wins. Because what? He wants to raise the corporate tax. He wants to raise the capital gains tax. Wants to raise the tax on rich people. They own stocks. Hey, look, even if you think that's good policy, it seems like, I, I don't know, how about an obvious negative for the market? Given that, Biden's been getting some incredible poll numbers for the last few weeks. A Democratic sweep it has become a real possibility. And I know many of you assume that's bad for stocks. That is certainly what I thought. Or at least it's what I thought before my big club call revelation. So why is it that two-thirds of the stocks in my travel trust would benefit from a Biden victory? The main reason simple. China. China. Let me tick them down, starting with Apple. We know President Trump frowns upon companies that do their manufacturing in the People's Republic, companies like Apple, which also says, of course, a ton of merchandise over there makes a ton of jobs. It's created millions of jobs here. Now, I've been exceptionally supportive of the president's trade war. I think we needed to crack down the Chinese Communist Party's bad behavior. But that... It's made life difficult for companies like Apple. Tim Cook, the terrific CEO, he's walked a tightrope between Washington and Beijing, and he's done an incredible job. He would make the lenders proud. But you know what? With Biden in the White House, he can get off the darn tightrope. When you listen to Biden, he sounds tougher on China than President Obama was. But that's not saying much. For good or ill, a Democratic sweep in November means a less hostile relationship with the PRC. That would be very good news for Apple, which is why I think the stock could and maybe even has been rising substantially on a prospective Biden victory. And Apple, by itself, accounts for a sizable chunk of the S&P 500. Sure, the 12 matters. I am telling the election matters more. Next up, the charitable trust owns a variety of semiconductor stocks, but the foremost prominent are Broadcom, Marvell Tech, AMD, Nvidia, all of which could get a sizable boost from Biden for the same reason as Apple will. Broadcom and NVIDIA are trying to do takeovers that require Chinese regulatory approval. We know that Broadcom's CEO, Hawk Tan, is very acquisitive. But since the trade war got rolling, the Chinese have made it tough on Hawk. Tough to close those deals. And the U.S. government has treated Broadcom like it's too close to the PRC. Hey, they're getting it from both sides when it comes to IAVGO. Now take away the trade war, and Broadcom can go back to making Big deals that China will be willingly to sign off on. Buy, 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 As for NVIDIA, well, they're trying to buy Arm Holdings right now, okay? And Arm Holdings is a great, it's a great acquisition. But we know that Chinese regulators dragged their feet on NVIDIA's last big acquisition, Melladox, even though there, there weren't any legitimate antitrust concerns. They could do the same with Arm Holdings. But a Biden presidency would make that deal a lot easier. And that would be raising numbers. NVIDIA! AMD makes some phenomenal chips, and there's immense demand from China. But with Trump in the White House, the Chinese government's more likely to throw a ton of resources into competing with AMD. A Biden administration, though? Oh, you ratchet back to trade war. I think they'll have different priorities. Definitely. Marvel Tech is a fabulous 5G play, but they lost a lot of business when President Trump banned Huawei from buying American-made components. Maybe Marvel gets some of that business back under Biden, even as it's done exceptionally well. By courting and then succeeding to get the business of Huawei's competitors since the ban. Beyond tech, beyond tech, listen to this. I mean, it's really amazing. What does the trust own? Some great American companies. Great American companies like like Starbucks, like Nike, like Boeing, like Disney. For Starbucks, China's the biggest growth engine. They're putting up tons of stores over there. And they still really haven't scratched the surface of those smaller tier two cities. You know, the ones with like three to four million people? Hey, they could use it bunch of Starbucks. Nike's got a consistent business in China that could be enhanced under Biden, although the trade war never really stopped them from dominating the sneaker business over there. Boeing. Huh. Sometimes I think the Chinese government would rather build its own planes than buy them from an American company, if only to spite Trump. I can envision them making a huge buy from Boeing right around the time of a Biden inauguration. It's kind of like an olive branch. Boeing stock would roar if you get max approval in Chinese orders, even with the crimp of the pandemic. The Walt Disney Company also does a ton of business in China. They play ball with the Communist Party censors because they don't like being portrayed negatively in movies. For Disney, that's a small price to pay to access a gigantic market. They want Chinese people to go to the parks and watch their movies. But playing ball with the Chinese government is frowned upon by Trump White House. Under Biden, I don't know if it would even hit the radar screen. Next up, we own Ma. That's MasterCard uh, for the travel trust. This is another China winner. MasterCard already has approval to begin preparations for a clearing operation in the PRC. That was part of Trump's phase one trade deal. However, it seems kind of stillborn. They're not not making much progress. I think that's related to the temper of the times. If Biden gets in there, lowers the temperature, I bet China stops slowly playing MasterCard and put it on a list, whatever list there is. They'll get it on the list. Listen, I could go on and on. Both J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs want more Chinese business. Biden makes that very likely. Microsoft, they were about to buy a deal for TikTok. Would have been a screen, just, just, just fantastic for them. But the Trump administration shot them down in favor of Oracle, mostly because they think China has too much influence over Microsoft and none over Oracle. Could have been a huge positive for Mr. Softy. You also have some oddities. I mean, the trust owns Costco, for example. We know Costco has enough money on its balance sheet to pay a huge special dividend. If Biden wins, dividend taxes may go up, so that could spur Costco to pay that special dividend sooner. Not bad. Hey, uh, Waste Management might be able to, once again to sell our old newspapers to China for recycling. Honeywell, substantial business to China. DuPont, substantial business in China. Abbott Labs, substantial business in China. United Parcel, it says it offers more delivery options in China than any other company. Go check the website. All of them do better if you ratchet down tensions. Now, again, let me be very clear. I am not saying Biden would be better for the stock market as a whole. The Trump White House has been very aggressive about wanting to keep the market happy. I've never seen anything like it. A lot of the tweets are just about how the Dow's doing. You know? I mean, he loves it. He wants it up. He wanted the Nielsen's up, too, when he was doing the apprentice, you know. But when you drill down to specific industries, I don't have much appetite for the stocks that would benefit from a second Trump term. Stocks like the uninvestable coal industry, the oil industry, the gas industry, uninvestable, regardless of what happens in Washington. I don't care that the Arctic Refuge is open for drilling. At these low prices, neither should the oil companies. Give the polar bears a break. The bottom line. Well, whatever. I mean, they got like all sorts of deer and stuff up there. I want to go there if I get a chance. When it comes to to earnings, to prospects, to growth, I was absolutely stunned that two-thirds of the stocks in my travel trust would likely make more money under Biden than under Trump. And given that Biden's way ahead in the polls, maybe that's what's being reflected in the averages. Back during the primaries, I said a Trump versus Biden race would be ideal for the stock market. Looks like I was more right than I knew. I think we should take calls. I think we should start with Robbie in Pennsylvania. Robbie. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, man. How are you? I'm all right, Jim. Hey, Jim, wondering what your thoughts are on booking uh, now that the COVID is rising again. No, 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 no. no be- I, I, I endorse <laughs> the idea that one day travel will come back. One day we'll be flying, and I saw the numbers were a little bit better this weekend. People realize that only 19 people have gotten, according to the, the statistics, have gotten COVID on planes because everybody wears masks, but not yet. Booking, not yet. You know what? We're going to stick with Pennsylvania. We're going to stick with the Keystone State. Let's go to Wade in Pennsylvania. Wade. Hello,
2: Mr. Kramer, and a big booyah from Pittsburgh, where we all
1: love this show. Yeah. Well, you got that guy Claypool Mike. loves the show for certain. Well, making fun of yeah. me. What's oh. up, Claypool? Your, your, your Eagles
3: gave us a thrilling game this past Sunday.
1: They're uh, more thrilling hey, when you win question, than when you lose. Oh, go ahead. That's just an observation. My question is about TNC Bank. Wanted to see if they're worth hanging
3: on to these days or should I trade it for something better?
1: Well, a lot of people felt that that was the class of the field of the earnings, that it was the best one. I liked it, and it did not matter. It went down anyway. The banks, they are rapidly becoming coal stocks. I'd like to speak to Garrett no, in Oregon, please. Garrett. Hi, how's it going, Kramer? Not bad. How about you? Uh, doing pretty good.
3: Um, um, I had a question about eBay. Um, with uh, all of the new e-commerce platforms, you know, and the well-established um, giants expanding, um, where do you see eBay in the future? Ben
1: Stodo. Research director for Mad Money has convinced me that this is an inexpensive stock you can go higher. So if Ben likes it, I like it, and you like it, Garrett in Oregon, I think you got horse sense. All right, listen to me. Of the 32 stocks my travel trust owns, two thirds would do better under a Biden presidency. Maybe that's what's reflecting the strength in the averages, even when it looks like it should roll over. Only oh, Maddie tonight. It's been a busy year for one of the largest medical device companies in the world. And that's Medtronic. It's not Medtronics. There's no S, there's no S there. But what is the company signaling for the year ahead? I'm sitting down with the CEO after it's Analyst Day. Then, is it Fast Times at Fastly? Stock is up over 500% year to date. With the company releasing uh, preliminary results tonight, I'll tell you if the move can continue down, that is. I'm talking to some of the top Tech trends with the men who knows. I'm talking to CEO of EMWare. So stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? head to madmoney.cndc.com.
4: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash card.
2: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com to start saving.
1: When the pandemic shut everything down in March, there was a widespread sense that the medical device companies, they could be in real trouble. With hospitals the the world over delaying non-emergency procedures to focus on COVID, well, you had to worry that the whole industry might take a hit, even, like, crucial areas like the heart, the brain. But now it's looking like that thesis was overblown. Take Medtronic, arguably the best-of-breed medical device maker. When these guys reported their most recent results near the end of August, the numbers came in far, far better than expected. After plumbing from 122 to 72 when COVID first hit, the stocks made its way back up to 107. So can it keep running? Let's check in with Jeff Martha. He's the new CEO of Medtronic, not a stranger because I talked to him, he who held his first investor day in the, as the top job. Uh, Mr. Martha, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Great to be here. Well, first, I want to congratulate you. Your company is, has gone through a very tough... Uh, period for all device makers. We heard from J and J the other day, and what I'm curious to know, you had very, very high level messages today about disrupting industries and accelerating growth. How are you going to do it?
3: Well, look, we've got a lot of. Well, first of all, we have the best pipeline in our company's history right now, and we're products we're launching today, product we're launching in the next couple of months. And then we have a whole second wave of innovation coming. So first of all, Jim, I know you're real interested in our deep brain stimulation business. Yes. We just recently launched the latest version of our, our deep brain stimulation technology, and it includes a very unique feature, the ability to sense brain signals. And, and sensing brain signals is really the key to optimizing certain neurological therapies like uh, deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's and and this is not easy to do. And we're the only ones that can do this. And it really, it sets us up for like a, what we call closed loop therapy, uh, which really amounts to personalized therapy. So we can listen to the signals into the brain, understand how the therapy is impacting the body, and then turn around and, and adjust that therapy to optimize it. Uh, and like I said, personalize it. So this is something, this is one of the many products we're, we're launching today. Uh, also uh, recently got an expanded indication in the cardiac rhythm area, which is really where the company was founded, on the pacemaker uh, for our new leadless pacemaker, which I've you know seen, we've had mm-hmm. before on your show, the Micra, uh, this thing is growing at you know, 40% plus in the middle of the pandemic, and so it's products like these uh, that that we have today uh, that's really powering us forward. But then there's you know in the future here in the next 18 to 24 months, there's some very large, exciting markets uh, that we're um, either disrupting like in robotics, uh, surgical robotics, or creating like renal denervation, which I think you and I have talked about before. Uh, This is for hypertension. This is for resistant hypertension. Uh, And we expect that market to be with just 1% penetration that would be a, a $3 billion market for us. So a, lot of people, really a
1: lot of people's ears perk up when you talk about uh, something involving, uh, say, uh, back issues that are cut, or surgical issues, right. robotic issues, because they say, hold it, maybe you've got something for something that I do not have any hope for. How about giving us a little bit of hope because you made a great acquisition?
3: Right, Mazor. We made the Mazor acquisition a, a couple of years ago in our spine business. And really, we you know, we Medtronic... 20, 25 years ago, really revolutionized spine surgery with pedicle screw systems. Uh, and now we're re uh, disrupting it again with robotics. And, and what Jim, the way I'd summarize it is robotics is gonna take back surgery. And today it's an art form. And it's really dependent on the surgeon that you go to. And we have a lot of great surgeons in this country, but you know, around the world, uh, that's not always the case. And we're gonna take it from this art form to a science with robotics interoperative imaging, uh, surgical planning tools. We just did an acquisition uh, for incorporating artificial intelligence into our robotic system to personalize uh, the implants, to personalize the size of the implant. So, you know, it's a broad strategy in Spine. That uh, for back surgery that I think will have big implications.
1: When I looked into it, Jeff, my first reaction was, I should be asking my doctors or going to hospitals that have this. I want the patients to have more control over their own body, and rather than just being shuttled different people, should we be asking for this product before we have back surgery?
3: Absolutely, and I, and I think, look, this is an opportunity for Medtronic, too. I think historically, we've been more of a, a B2B company, and I really think this is time for us to start to drive awareness with, with consumers about some of these new uh, exciting therapies like robotics for spine, like renal denervation for, for resistant hypertension. You know, these are patients that uh, are on all kinds of medications that have tough side effects. If, if you can have an interve- a minimally invasive interventional procedure, like an in-and-out day procedure, if you will, uh, and it materially lowers your uh, blood pressure, uh, that's something you're going to want to know about. And so I think we, we have to do a good job of getting this word well, out there. You're, so, talking about, you
1: know, you're talking about brain stim, which is remarkable. Nobody has it. You're talking about back surgery that nobody has anything like. You're talking about things that are disrupting all of medicine. What you're really talking about is the brand-new Medtronics as far as I'm concerned.
3: It is. I mean, it is in several ways. One, look, the pipeline we talked about, that is the foundational element of it. And um, we've also made some changes over the last couple of months uh, to decentralize the company, put, putting our decision rights down into our operating units. We've gone from effectively one $30 billion company to, to $20, $1.5 billion operating units that, that are very aligned, close to the customers. So I think it's going to make us uh, faster and more nimble and decisive. So that's, a ch- that's another change. And we're really trying to add in addition to this mission-driven culture we have, make some culture mm-hmm. changes. We have a great mission. Uh, we want to keep that mission, but add a bit of, you know, being bold with some of these opportunities, like really making the bet on, like, renal denervation or or, or robot, surgical robotics for spine or for general okay. surgery. Make a bigger bet there, and so be bold and and uh and go cool. for it.
1: I like this, Jeff. I think you know I liked Medtronic before, but I really like your focus. I think it's terrific. That's Jeff Martha after a huge analyst day where I think this company is on fire. He's the CEO of Medtronic. It is a new Medtronic and it's doing a lot of great things. Man money's back after the break.
2: People today can spend half their lives over fifty. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny! Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP.
4: Start planning today at aarp.org/moneytools. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need indeed.
1: Alright, what the heck just happened to Fastly, the stock in the company? Once uh, uh, one of the hottest stocks in the market just pre-announced, in other words, said something before it was the real thing, Uh, there were some hideous numbers. Uh, After the close, the stock got obliterated, losing more than a quarter of its value in after hours at one point. It was absolutely brutal to watch. Remember, this happened after the market closed. Now, uh, people know I've been a big fan of Fastly, and I, I, and I know I'm not the only one. This company is a next-generation content delivery network that allows its clients to ensure all of their stuff works smoothly over the web. It's the best in show. Even after this after-hours meltdown, it's been a huge winner thanks to the pandemic. We first spoke to the CEO in late May when the stock was at 43, and it's still more than doubled from those levels. But going into today's session, Fastly had really gotten very frothy. As I said this morning on Squawk on the Street, see, it just rallied 32% this month on basically no news. And I made it clear that I thought it was just nutty that it kept going higher. This thing is a wild trader, but it was priced for perfection. So when we got some suboptimal news, it was obliterated. I got to tell you, I wanted to come on here tonight and tell you that Fastly was too expensive, that you should wait for a pullback to get a better entry point. Well, now you've got one. But you have to ask yourself, is Fastly still worth owning? I think the answer is actually Yes. This pullback's an overreaction and may have created a good buying opportunity. Before I get into the why, though, let me set the scene. You see, Fastly's had a remarkable run this year because, at least until today, their numbers were consistently much better than expected. In late May, we spoke to CEO Joshua Bixby. He, you know, he, told, he told a very compelling story. At the time, the stock had already run to 43. And I said, you've got to buy it anyway. It's too compelling. Since then, more and more people have gotten on board, realizing that Fastly's market opportunity could be much bigger than they thought. By mid-July, the stock broke out over 100, and some analysts started getting a little squeamish. Fastly caught a series of downgrades, mostly based on valuation concerns. And within days, it had pulled back to around 80. That turned out to be another fabulous buying opportunity as investors piled back into this thing in anticipation of the next quarter. By August 5th, the day before the report, it closed at 109. In other words, the last time Fastly got hammered down to the 80s, you got an amazing opportunity to get in. However, if you waited, you got an even better entry point. See, because Fastly had run into earnings, when it reported a fabulous set of second quarter numbers in August, the stock got shelled again. Given how much it had run into the quarter, I think nothing would have been good enough if the bar was so high. So the stock briefly tumbled back to the 70s before recovering again to 100 by the end of August. Then September comes along, and all the high-flying tech stocks get put through the meat grinder, fastly sinking right back to 76 a little over a month ago. In the five-odd weeks since, since though, the stock has exploded higher. And yesterday, it made a new all-time high closing at 128. It was crazy. Well, now it's pulled back to the 80s and after-hours trading, the same level it bounced from repeatedly. So you got to be intrigued. But what went wrong? Okay, going into today's close, everyone thought that Fastly has a terrific content delivery network with accelerating revenue growth. Thanks to the pandemic, all sorts of businesses have realized that they need to digitize. But the people calling the shots don't necessarily know anything about tech. So what do they do? Well, listen to what the CEO, Joshua Bixby, told us in May.
3: Really what's happening, you've seen this transformation. It's not, it's not just, we it's not just us. We're seeing it with Twilio, we're seeing it with Datadog, we've seen it with Slack, is that developers are being empowered as the new decision makers in organizations because they're the ones who are building differentiation.
1: Three great companies. We've had them all on, he talks about. Then he goes on to explain that these experts like Fastly because their platform is built by developers for developers. That's why the New York Times, with a huge number of subscribers big upgrade today, and Shopify, Canadian Internet company with insane growth, and Slack are all clients. Basically, the people within these organizations who make rich online experiences possible keep insisting on Fastly because it allows them to control their code and get it as close to the end user as possible. That translated into some stunning financials, at least until today. But after the close, Fastly cut its third quarter revenue forecast, lowering it from $73.5 million to $75.5 million. Uh, uh, That's the range, down to $70 to $71 million. Well, you can't do that if you're a high multiple stock. You can't. That may not seem like a big change to you, given uh, the massive decline in the stock, but you've got to understand, there was a ton of hot money this thing, expecting far more than that. See, you had a huge number of what I call Robin Hoodies today in the stock, and they loved Fastly because, well, I don't know, they loved it. And when it hit a speed bump after the close today, many of them just bailed. They didn't know what they own. Why did Fastly lower its revenue forecast? Okay, the biggest customer is TikTok, the popular video-sharing platform that's beloved by kids but hated by the Trump administration. Over the summer, the TikTok business seemed like a liability for Fastly because Trump wanted to shut them down, although eventually they reached a deal with Oracle and we assume maybe the problem would go away. But it turns out the uncertain geopolitical environment has reduced Fastly's revenue from TikTok, at least in the third quarter. By the way, Facebook's got a competing product, too. Given that Fastly reports its full results in about three weeks, I'm betting the quarter obviously is going to be ugly. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to pre-announce like this. But maybe it's temporary. Maybe it's already resolved. Look, I'm not saying Fastly's done going down. The stock's very expensive, even before the negative pre-announcement. At the close, it was selling for 32 times next year's sales forecast, which is probably among the five most expensive stocks that I follow I said this morning, it has a terrible set of traders in it. People have no idea what it does and don't even care. I said that they just knew that it goes higher, which is why they liked it. Or knew it goes higher until tonight. Fastly still got excellent growth. It's still rapidly approaching profitability. It's still beloved by its clients. But now it has to suffer through a series of downgrades and an exit by people who know nothing about it more than a terrible nickname. Not kidding. So I think you have to be optimistic. If the stock really gets slammed again tomorrow, maybe you can start buying it in the weakness. These stocks never recover in one day. Never. Uh, never. On a the pre-announcement, they don't. Sometimes you have to wait a full quarter for it to, re- to start to re- you know, recharge. Um, it, but it's been slammed down in the 70s or 80s before and it's bounced. I wouldn't be surprised if that could happen again, although it might go down more before it starts rebounding. Here's the bottom line. Even after this brutal negative pre-announcement, the Fastly story is pretty much intact. If the problem is really just TikTok, it can make a comeback. The fact is that this is a wild trader that was due for a big sell-off anyway. Because as I said this very morning, there was too much ignorant money in Fastly. Now the stock has been significantly de-risked. The ignorant money is fleeing like rats on a sinking ship. And I actually like it more. If it keeps falling and you can get it in the 70s, maybe you start a position. And get ready for some stabilization. D in California. D.
3: Howdy, Jim. Greetings from sunny Santa Barbara. Oh,
1: beautiful place. What's going on?
3: It, it is. Well, thank you first for sharing your insights. They've been very much appreciated.
1: Oh, uh, you're quite so welcome. We hold
3: a, oh, thank you. We hold a position in a company we feel is very well run and have plenty of room to grow. And during the past several months of volatility, we have taken some profits and then bought on this. However, during the past couple of weeks, this stock has repeatedly reached all-time highs. So my question to you is, what is your opinion on the present status and the future for a stock traded as PPD, the trade debt?
1: Jeff Green! Okay, so we like Jeff Green very much. We think he's terrific. But I got to tell you something, Dee. D. You got to take some off the table. I mean, this stock has gone from 400 to 653 in a matter of weeks. And that's too hot for me. That's that's sizzling. So I want you to take a little off the table so you can't get hurt. And by the way, that is not a reflection on Jeff Green. He's amazing. This company's amazing. But the stock's too expensive. Hey, why don't we go to Victor in Florida, please? Victor. Jim, thank you for taking my call. Quite welcome. I purchased Xilinx I purchased approximately two weeks ago. The other day you mentioned Xilinx may be bought out.
3: I purchased it for $118 a share. Can you give me any idea?
1: Okay, remember what I said. Remember what I said. I said there were talks in the newspapers that AMD may buy Xilinx. But what I said was I didn't think Xilinx was for sale. I didn't think they wanted to sell. Why did I say that? Because we had Victor Peng on, and he didn't have any indication, no indication whatsoever that he wanted to sell. That said, it's a good company, but it is not to be bought on a takeover basis. All right, look, Fastly was due for a little bit of a collision here. Uh, but as it goes lower, if you can get it in the 70s, it's still too high in the 90s. Yeah, I actually like it. All right, much more mad money ahead, including my sit-down with VMware, with the company announcing partnerships with Kramer Fave's Zscaler. Can I help you? And NVIDIA is now the time to consider the stock. Then what the politicians are missing when it comes to a potential stimulus deal, and the lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This has been a great year for the cloud stocks, but bizarrely, not as great as it should be for VMware, which is the leading maker of virtualization software. The very thing that makes the cloud possible by allowing you to run multiple virtual machines on a single physical server. They've also got a big cloud onboarding business, which I love. Yet VMware stock is still down a few bucks from its pre-COVID levels. The reason? Well, actually, this is a little tricky. Because VMware is a subsidiary of Dell, and investors are always worrying about what Dell wants to do with them. Something that I actually regard as an abstraction, because I don't think Michael Dell wants to hurt anybody. But that's because of my knowledge of him. You see, VMware's got a lot going for it. They reported an excellent quarter in late August. Then a few weeks ago, they held a conference where they unveiled a new multi-cloud strategy, And announced an acquisition, SaltStack for automation, also told us about some big partnerships with Zscaler and my favorite, Nvidia. Finally, the stock feels like it's got some mojo. So can it keep running? Let's dig deeper with Sanjay Poonen, he's VMware's chief operating officer. You get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Poonen, welcome back to Mad Money.
5: Jim, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much.
1: Sanjay, you had something people should be talking about. You had VMworld, which is a huge, huge confab, and you had some great speakers. What came of it?
5: Yeah, Jim, it's one of the biggest tech conferences, uh, you know, that along with reInvent and a few others, We had 150,000 registrants. I suspect at the end of it, we'll have half a million people watching it. 3,000 minutes of content and some incredible, there were probably three takeaways. Uh, Number one, in terms of the news, uh, we are really excited about bringing AI to the masses. And you mentioned NVIDIA, Jensen Huang, good friend of ours. Uh, We're really going to bring his AI stack, GPUs and all of what he's built to the operating system of the data center, which is VMware. Um, Secondly, a lot going on in security. We've become now a leading cybersecurity company. We've kind of really made Carbon Black a real success and we're bringing it to the data centers to protect workloads like never before. And we announced a partnership with Zscaler, a leading player in this work from home security category. And then the third big announcement was a lot of what we're doing in the multi-cloud world. Jim, we've never had an event where everybody in the cloud has come to our tent. AWS, Azure, Google, Oracle, IBM, at five trillion dollars worth of market cap at our event because they see these eighty-five million workloads of VMware, and they're saying, "Listen, we want to help customers alongside VMware," and that's what we've seen. AWS, obviously, our preferred partner, but we're seeing good traction with Azure and all the other clouds. We want to be that indispensable player for the hybrid cloud, whether it's private or public cloud.
1: You're also talking about it very much in the news. VMware's place in five G. Yesterday, Apple, they, they do this new line of 5G. I'm very excited about it. It looks like you want to become the operating system of 5G.
5: Well, what's happening in 5G? It's a very astute point, uh, Jim, that you point out. We announced some really good partnerships uh, earlier with DISH uh, and also with Vodafone. What's happening? 5G is typically uh, you know, disintermediating this telco stack. Typically, the telco stack has been vertically integrated by network equipment providers hardware, software, services, and expensive, because it's fairly proprietary. 5G comes at it in an angle and disrupts it, takes it apart, and you can do things on commodity hardware with software often driven of open source capabilities, and VMware is finding incredible success in the core of the network, in the radio access network, and that's what we announced. Vodafone is seeing opportunity to get 50% reduction uh, in their costs and make themselves twice as uh, productive and agile. Same with what we're seeing in early days with DISH. So we're very excited. There's only 300 telcos in the world, and maybe 30 of them that really matter. VMware is now going to become the best company in the software era to power that 5G revolution.
1: All right, so now talk to me about security, because you've made some acquisitions. Uh, We have to be big fans of Zscaler. We've had them on the show multiple times. How's that working?
5: Jay Chowdhury is a great CEO, a good friend. Uh, and we partnered with him because we want to make security simple. You know, DaVinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. The problem in security is it's complex. And we've got to make it Sesame Street simple for chief security officers who've just got way too many tools. I came early this morning from talking to chief security officer who had 40 different tools. And 10 or 15 <laughs> of them, Jim, are like agents sitting on the laptop and more agents sitting on the server, hundreds of alerts and clients. We're just going to make this simple. And when a large player with the R&D muscle and the go-to-market muscle of VMware gets into the security space, watch out, because what we're going to do is really you know, make it in the network, in the endpoint and workload, and cloud security much simpler and integrated. So we're best of breed in many of these areas. We've talked about this in the previous show. And in certain places where we have some gaps, we go and pick some best of breed partners. Zscaler is an example of a partner. Okta is an example of a partner in identity. Well, you know we uh, like them. we're going to pick those Yeah, they're great companies, and these are best of breed players in their spheres who will partner with our platform and in network security with NSX, in endpoint and workload security with Carbon Black, and in cloud security with Cloud we're best of breed. Pick a few of these partners, go deep, and simplify the proposition for chief security officers. But, Sanjay,
1: what you've described is what I see my kids doing. They are in the workforce. They are working at 6 a.m. because see, you don't have to go anywhere. You stay at home. And they're working to 8 p.m. And they have what I describe as Zoom fatigue because that's all they do. It's, you know, we used to be able to you know, have breakfast, go to work, come home for dinner. It's not like this anymore because of all these great things that you're talking about. What do we, how do we balance the physical and mental health with these people? Because you know what? They're not used to this. They don't know how to do it.
5: Well, uh, I'm not sure Eric Yuan would agree with Zoom fatigue, but he's a good friend, too. <laughs> Man, we like and we're like we delighted. We're so happy that Zoom exists. I mean, think about it. When I was last time in this pandemic in 2008, uh, Jim, I was at SAP and I, we were all in the small room sitting around a telepresence machine. And it was so hot and only 10 or 15 people could sit in the thing. Now, when I saw Zoom first, it's on my phone. It's beautiful. But we obviously want to balance work and life. And not be in this place where both our physical and mental health so as important as the physical health is important and we're obviously helping companies through the pandemic mental health is equally important we've just adopted some best practices and we think we're going to create the work 2.0 the future workforce where we make it the best to be able to work in any location i recently had a lady who um, was going to do a a global demand gen job and initially we would have thought she could have done that job from palo alto only She's now doing that job from Sydney and doing an incredible job. We want to make VMware the best place to work. And then on the absence of that, on the end of each day, Each person's got to find their personal space by which they figure out the things that trample in them back to work. Every day for me, it's my faith, my family, my friends. Right, And I've got a routine, whether it's biking or whatever have you, that lets you get prepared for the next day. Because we're going to be in this gym for potentially the long haul. I know.
1: Well, look, I count on you for inspiration because you often think about inspirational things beyond just the bottom line. That's why we love you. Sanjay Poonen, COO of VMware. Great to see you again, sir.
5: Thank you very much, Jim. Okay, man, buddy, we'll
1: be back after the break. Hey, before we get to the lightning round, big news special airing tonight on CNBC. The pandemic has been hard on so many people and businesses across our society. But the essential workers who keep our airports running and planes flying, they've been crushed. So tonight, our own Shepard Smith takes a look at the battered U.S. air travel system and how the tens of thousands of workers who depend on it are fighting to help it survive. Do not miss Shepard Smith reports. Air travel in turmoil, and that's tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on CNBC. And now, now it is time for the lightning round. What is that? One of by the sound, and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skiing Daddy, it's time for the lightning round. Players of money. Let's start with Mike in Texas. Mike. Hey, booyah to you, Jim. Booyah. The company uh, i asking about is uh, Zixcorp, yeah, B-I-X-I. Uh, yeah, I know that one is email encryption. When I think of encryption, I think of IBM, which is an incredibly cheap stock that's bringing out a lot of value. Let's go to Manuel in Illinois. Manuel. yeah, Jim. Thanks oh, for yeah. taking my call. I just want your thoughts on uh, GWPH. Uh, on GW Pharma? Um, I yes. like it a lot. I think that it is um, the only one that really has pharmaceutical uh, cannabis, and therefore it's great. Uh, it's come down a lot, though. Let's go to Adam in South Carolina. Adam. Jimmy Chill, this is Adam from Polydive. What's up? I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm doing well. So
3: we both know what Shopify has done for people, both before and during the pandemic. I'm up around 300% on this. What's the game plan well, going Well, look, they, earning- Those
1: are two uh, different disciplines. The fact is, is that I like the stock very much. That's the conviction. But the discipline level says that you cannot be up 300% without taking some off. I want you to take out your cost basis tomorrow, and I want you to play with the house's money. And that is no reflection on the company. That's called discipline. Let's go to Cynthia in Ohio. Cynthia. Jim, oh, booyah. Booyah. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm good. I'm
3: wondering
4: your thoughts on the recently IPO'd Snowflake.
1: Look, Frank Slootman is unbelievable. If there's ever a company that's going to be able to make money for you, even though it sells at 100 times earnings, it's one that is run by Slootman. But please understand, this is the most expensive stock in the market, so they must execute and execute perfectly. I believe Slootman will, but there are many doubters because it is so expensive. Market in Illinois. Mark. Hi, Jim. Love your show. Thank you. I'm, good about to keep you next. I'm going up and down a little bit. I know they had a problem in the beginning with the social distancing, but they've got a corner on the market with a lot of high-end goods stores going out of business. I know I buy a lot of clothes there that are high-end and a lot of accessories, and I love their camping on the theater. I don't know if ever use them. Boots and I have walking sticks in there. And I just redid my whole what? townhouse. So I used home okay. goods. Okay, what's so the stock? So be doing what? the right thing, but maybe they're not. What's the stock? T.J. Matt. Huh? TJ Maxx. All right, on my club call this after uh, this. Well, morning, and afternoon. I question how good the stock is. We just trimmed some. Why? Because it's very. It, look, it's an indoor store. It's not what people want right now. It does have some good inventory coming in, but it is not going to scream higher. I don't think. Let's go to Shmuel in New York. Shmuel, Kramer, longtime listener, first time caller. Excellent. I got to say, Kramer. You're the voice of reason. You're a capitalist, yet you're a masks. Maybe the future mayor of New York. Yeah, a lot of people want me to run, actually, but I want yeah, someone else to run. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. DraftKings, Kings. You said a while back you liked it. The high holy days have passed, and now it's down twenty percent from its. Yeah, it's peak. coming down a lot. I've just, you know, I have a show called uh, Bull Market Fantasy. They are my sponsor. I must point that out. The stock is going down. It roll. It ran up in advance. I say you let it cool off, but I think the company is going to own the space, and that's what's so good about it. Again. They are my sponsors, so you have to say, well, wait a second, Jim is is Bull Market Fantasy sponsored by that, but I do like the company, and I I like the management. We've had them on. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round
2: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Look,
1: for months I've been coming out here... uh, and arguing that we need another aggressive stimulus package. Now, as the owner of an inn and two restaurants, uh, I, I see the pain in the hospitality industry firsthand. The house of pain. Like I'd love to be able to keep them open, but people aren't staying at inn. So there's very little travel at all going on. As for the restaurants, social distancing makes it impossible for most smaller operators to make money. And when you got a place that, that can seat 50 like mine, uh, and the pandemic limits lim- you lim- to 12, it's just not worth it, Okay. Only the large outfits with deep pockets can take the pain until there's a vaccine. They've even got the money to pivot to delivery and takeout in the meantime, which is much harder for independent operators. It costs too much. Now, you can see I'm just talking my book. Of course, I want another stimulus package. You wouldn't want some sweet federal largesse for their small businesses. But that's not why I keep begging for Congress to do something. You know what? I'm going to be fine regardless of what happens in Washington. I don't hide that. I'm okay. It's not about self-interest. I'm desperate for a stimulus bill because I know so many people in in these industries now because of what I do. And I know how this is playing out. Not everyone can build restaurants on the sidewalk. I know I wasn't allowed to. The people in these service businesses need help. Same goes for the people who work in travel, especially the airlines workers. They didn't do anything. All they did was just work in the time of COVID. There's just one problem. I've now gone through the conference calls of Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and J.P. Morgan. I can tell you for a fact that many parts of this economy are simply on fire. The only defaults seem cordoned off to, yes, travel, leisure, some restaurants, some retailers. In short, we've got a very healthy economy with a handful of hideous exceptions. As one very smart bank executive put it, imagine this economy is a four-lane highway. Three of those lanes are smooth, perfect even arguably better than maybe at any time in American history. But the fourth lane, it's rocky, it's nasty, it's mean, it's filled with potholes that could blow out any tire. At the end of the day, we could live without that fourth lane. It won't really hurt the broader economy. But there are millions of people who are stuck traveling in that messed up fourth lane, and it's tough for them to switch over. So do we help them? Do we let them wither and crash wrecks on the highway? Here's what it comes down to. A lot of people in this country are in trouble right now through no fault of their own. I think we should help them. I think it's a compassionate thing to do. I think it's wrong to just say, "You know what? Those millions of people who work in the hospitality industry, they're on their own in that damn lane." And that's what drives me nuts that the Democrats and Republicans can't come up to, can't come to some kind of compromise to fix the fourth lane. There are plenty of people in Washington who either don't care or who willing to sacrifice those jobs because it's politically expedient. They say, who needs all those inns and restaurants? Why do we have to travel? So a family hotel closes. So what? Why not just save, let them save their money anyway? And you know what? I think that's heartless. And I can't live with myself if I say otherwise. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you i find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. I'll see you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts right now.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.